Hey everyone, on this episode of the Your Life, Your Term show, we speak with Stephen Simpson. Stephen recently started his own firm, FocusCapital.ca, which is really geared towards industrial real estate investing. It wasn't long ago that he transitioned from a previous life really into asset accumulation and investing full-time, really focused on that industrial real estate market, which a lot of investors don't really look at, but it's something that he was actively going after and he likes it and he describes the reason why, the returns he's getting, the areas he's investing, um, all those types of things, as well as how his kids are involved in the transition. And then we get into the economy, of course, and that type of thing as well. So it's a really good conversation. If you're looking for more information if, as to what he's up to, it's focuscapital.ca. And he's got a podcast coming out as well, um, Focus Capital Podcast. So you can kind of sign up on the waiting list for that. It'll be coming, coming out in a few weeks. And he forgot to mention it. So he wanted to make sure that we threw it in here. So with that, I hope you enjoy the show. Are you ready to live life on your terms? Is it time to take charge? Real estate, business building, the economy, health and nutrition, and more. It's the Your Life, Your Term Show with Tom and Nick Carazza. Are you ready? Let's go. All right, so we're here. Um, quick little rapid setup as I was coming in, as you were coming in. So I think you were early and, and I was late. So yeah, I'll, I'll be early and you be late. Combined. So yeah. combined, it kind of worked out, but we got this all set up. Yeah, we're but good. cool. Thanks for joining us, man. Um, no so what's, uh, I mean, you've, you kind of went through this transition not too long ago. When did we first meet? Was that two years ago? Yeah, I, I don't know why COVID's thrown everything off it, me. I don't know uh, what years are anymore. Yeah, so I joined Rockstar in at the end of 2019. Okay. I, I think I only went to one live event. But you were still working in your pre, kind of, you were doing what yeah. your previous life at that time. In the corporate days. Yeah, yeah. 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 And that was, and, and just for everyone, that was, I, you were, it was some sort of software. Yeah, so I'm a professional engineer by trade. Uh, systems engineering is what my degree's in. Okay. And I worked in the corporate world for about 20 years, yeah. So you're very anal. Uh, yeah, like numbers guy, like everything. order, <laughs> yeah. yeah, all yeah. that good stuff. Right? So the pandemonium that, you know, when you're walking in here and people are getting ready right before you come, you're just like, what, what's wrong yeah. with these guys? No, it's all good. My wife is uh, very extroverted, so I kind of, she balances me out a lot. So, yeah. <laughs> so, okay. But then, and then you decided to make a transition. So you were investing in residential at that time? Yeah. So I'll, I'll kind of give you my history there. So, um, and, and maybe I'll just start with now. And, and, and yeah, start. sure. Yeah, so I own and manage a company called Focus Developments. So it's a real estate holdings company, and we specialize in acquiring and managing industrial real estate here in Ontario. Um, but I've been investing in, in personally in real estate for about twenty years. So I've done everything from you know duplex conversions to like student rentals, multi-unit properties, and then now obviously in the commercial yeah. side. Uh, but prior to that, prior to starting Focus Developments, um, I worked in the corporate world for about 20 years. Yeah, and Focus was just re recently. So when was that? That was, yeah. what, it wasn't, was it a couple years ago? It's Long. two years ago, yeah. Oh, it was two years it's ago. two years ago, yeah. Okay, mm -hmm. and then what made you, so you decided, so you, you corporate worlds in the past, and then that's when you started getting into industrial, because I, if I remember correctly, you weren't doing industrial beforehand. No, when I, when I first uh, linked up with you guys, it was to continue to build my residential portfolio. You know, and and when I decided to go out on my own, basically, I you know I, I left the corporate world a couple of years ago. Uh, I needed something that was going to scale a lot better. I needed something that was going to be um, something that I could leverage, which was going to take advantage of the skills and the background that I had as an engineer. Mm -hmm. Some of the corporate stuff I've done, you know, and, and working in commercial real estate previously in, in my corporate days, and also something again that I think. Um, is a bit of a niche that I wanted to take advantage of. And so those all came together uh, to to point me in the direction of industrial real estate being our Yeah, niche. why industrial? Because industrial is like, it's a different world, Yeah. right? I mean, in some ways it can, it, you know, I'm always a big believer of going back to everything, right? Yeah. So there's there's a good side, there is a downside too. And it's a lot, there's a, a learning curve involved in it. So if you're leaving this corporate side of things and then, you know, figuring out what you're going to do, you're kind of jumping into not really the unknown, like it's still real estate. So some of the same principles apply and stuff like that, right. but it's, it's, it's outside of a comfort zone because it's something you've never done before. For sure. Yeah. So good question. Because I, even in real estate circles, I talk about industrial real estate and people kind of look at me like I've got two heads or something, you know, and it, it's, it's, uh, it's a different animal for sure. Um, and it's, it's different and it's got its own sort of unique characteristics when you're comparing it to residential real estate or really any other asset class in the real estate space for that matter. 
Um, so one of the things uh, I think that you can uh, look at industrial real estate for in, in terms of having its own unique characteristics is because it's a commercial uh, asset class within real estate, um, it's going to have a different setup in terms of uh, how you manage your tenants, the lease structure, um, the types of tenants you have, um, just some of the amenities and just different things that the tenants are, are, are looking for. But there's a lot of, of you know, differences when you're talking about um, an industrial unit or, or another commercial unit for that matter, that a business is leasing out or renting versus in the residential side, someone's home, right? So we've all had those kind of, you know, horror stories of, of dealing with evictions and things like that. And so, you know, one of the main things is that you're dealing with, with business tenants, right? And so there's a variety of different things that, you know, I can kind of get into as we, as we yeah, go but here. What you're, but your logic when you were doing that, not yeah. like, I understand that, you right. know what I mean? but when you were, is that what came into the decision? You're like, hey, look, I don't want to deal with tenants on the residential side, so I want to go down this route? Yeah, good question. Um, so it was part of it for sure. Okay. Um, I would say the main, so it's a combination of things, as I was just saying. The, the main thing is I needed something that was going to scale. So if I wanted to keep doing, you know, single family homes or student rentals and do that full time, I, you know, people do wholesaling. It's, it's, you know, you need to do a lot of those, right? So commercial real estate and industrial real estate will scale a lot better just because of the size of the properties you're dealing with, right? You're, you're typically, you know, we focus on the mid market. So we're talking two to $10 million properties. So if you're doing a couple of those deals every year, you know, compare that to having to do like, you know, yeah, two to 10 of, of, you know, of the smaller residential stuff. Right. So you're going to have to do a lot of those as a list, a lot more churn. So that was one of the factors for sure. The second was, again, just the, the lease structure and the types of tenants that you're dealing with. Um, I was really getting sick of the tenants and toilets on the residential side and, you know, things could have been going well with one of my residential properties and all of a sudden a furnace breaks or tenant damages something and then boom, there goes your cash flow for that month. And so when you're dealing um, specifically in, in industrial properties, we're, we're setting up something called a triple net lease, right? So that is a truly pass-through net lease for the benefit of the landlord. And so what that allows you to do is have a, just a lot more control about and, and predictability in terms of what your cash flow is actually going to mm -hmm. be, right? Because you're, you're charging base rent and then you're charging an additional rent for common area maintenance, for property taxes, for insurance, for literally everything else that's going to come up as an expense on that property. Yeah. So you're, you're not like beholden to what might you know, happen with the tenant at the property, right? So, but what, what, so what kind of what kind of numbers did you use for turnover during vacancies? Because that's the, the you know the flip side to that is like, yeah, okay, that sounds great. However, when you know in, uh, in a lot of industrial spaces, when a tenant leaves, you know, in residential, you can fill it in two weeks, right? The, you know, they, they, whereas in industrial, it's very uncommon to be yeah. able to turn over you know a, a property so quickly. Yeah. Sometimes it's months, you know, depending on the types of properties right. where they are and all those sorts of things. So it's yeah. months and months. So you carrying the property then for that period of time right so what in your calculations because i know you, there was calculations as an engineer i know the calculations existed yeah yeah you know you're not using a two percent vacancy rate or no. you know so, so like what where does that kind of how does that fall into place right so I, i'm typically basing my my vacancy rate um you know, factor in my in my underwriting based on the availability rate in the particular market I'm looking at. Okay. So, so if you look at those rates, um, you know, nationally they're between four and five percent, and here in Ontario they can be much lower than that depending on the market. So, um, the markets that we in, we're in, we're, we focus on secondary markets. So we're outside of the GTA, and typically, you know, we're, we're in we're in um, southwestern Ontario. We're up in Sudbury. We're out in Chatham. We know we're looking for secondary markets that are about a hundred thousand population and to two fifty. And why 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 that? Is there just there's less demand right now, or or no, a little bit less demand, or there's just more value there, right? Okay. So if if you look at um, the the cost per square foot of industrial real estate, you know, it's going to be generally between two hundred and four hundred dollars a square foot. You know, 200 would be the much smaller markets. 400 would be kind of, you know, a GTA type, okay. type of situation. So but, uh, that's around the GTA. That's not Toronto. That that would that, be, you know, the Toronto market, right? Those are the stats. Okay, that we're, okay we're gotcha. That. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it would include Mississauga and places like that yep. and Markham. But if you look at the, the lease rates, you know, that you're going to be getting, 
in those same markets, they're going to go from between all in lease rates are going to be, you know, 18 to $24 a square foot. So if you look at that spread per square foot, it, it doubles going from the smallest to the biggest. But in the lease rates, the cost, yeah, but it's only going up about 30%. Yeah. So there's lots of value in those smaller markets, right? Because you're getting a pretty healthy lease rate and you're not paying comparatively uh, a whole lot for it. So there's there's good opportunities for cash flow in the secondary markets. So that was one of the things I looked at specifically is 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 the lease rate there and the value that you can mm-hmm. squeeze out of these properties. We've seen the same thing on the residential side consistently, yeah. like, like for years and years. And you know, so wh- why do you think that is on the industrial side? Like I, I know there's like, so it's a secondary market, so there's a little bit higher risk. So I guess, they, you know, that's where it comes down to. Is there anything else that I'm missing with, with that? Because sometimes I look at that and I'm like, it just seems that, it you know, some, there's got to be a number of people that would look at that sector and be like, hey, like it's it's pretty simple math. Like, yeah. like you just, you know, you just did there. And in that gap would close a little bit more. Right. You know, you know, but I guess... Like historically, I feel there was more risk in those markets than there has been over the last 10 to 20 years, call it. Sure. Right? So maybe a, a, a while ago it was a little bit different. But with uh, the population base and the kind of the infrastructure that's been put in place since then, it's just, it's not really the same. And that's why I've always been, I've always wondered. I, like, yeah. I'm not complaining. You, sure. You know, the the opportunities there. I'm just wondering if there's anything else that I'm missing that you've seen. Well, so the market, I will say it's very fragmented. Right. So in, in, in the, the segment of the market that we play in, so again, sort of mid market, yeah. not, you know, too, too, um, too uh, big for the really small guys, but too small for the big institutional investors um, in that mid market range. There's just a lot of fragmentation. You do have some owner operators who've got, you know, $5 million warehouse that they're running, but it's, it's all over the place. So um, there isn't a whole lot of, uh, I guess, uniformity there where you've got these big, big institutional investors coming in and sweeping up and making markets under themselves. And so I just think that's a factor, but also, um, you know, just going back to the price of land, like the price of land in some of these secondary markets and in these industrial parks is actually not that valuable when you compare it to the GTA. So mm-hmm. it's, it's just a, it's just a cost yeah. thing, you know? Yeah. Um, and then, so what have you seen your property specifically are you or do you have high high like how high are used for warehousing i guess is what i'm asking yeah we've got a variety of tenants but yeah they're all you know our our smallest tenant would be about 2000 square foot unit and then the biggest one's about 9000 okay yeah. cuz i know what i've seen around here um i'm talking specifically in mississauga i think it's all three stories i know of in mississauga is i know i know that some the the lease rates have just jumped dramatically yeah. specifically for industrial areas where there is ceiling height because they're being used for warehouse so like these were businesses that didn't need the ceiling height before yeah um the the one that's coming to mind i know the other ones i just forget but the one that's coming to mind that i know best is is a gym yeah. so it was a gym that was in in one of these areas they didn't need the ceiling height right. and then when their lease renewal came up they just they basically were going to have to close their business they've ended up kind of restructuring a bit went into much smaller space yeah. because the lease just jumped so that's what i've heard is just the demand for these types of properties with good ceiling height for um, a lot of it has to do it's not just warehousing right yeah. um but a lot of it has to do with warehousing uh have you seen the same in those other markets that you're you're in yeah absolutely so any modern build so we just completed a building out in chatham last year and the ceiling height was was 22 feet clear which in today's world is actually pretty low ceiling mm-hmm. height for for modern industrial buildings um, you look at the Amazons of the world, those, those big bomber, you know, warehouse buildings, and, and they're going 36 foot at least. And, and really because they have to have that density and they've got very sophisticated racking systems and robots and all kinds of stuff going on in there. The tenants that we lease to. Have you, I got to stop you for a second. Have yeah, no you problem. been to one of those Amazon distribution centers? I haven't had the tour. Tenant? No, but I've, I've oh seen the videos God. and things like that. I don't know. think they do them anymore. I signed yeah. up. It was this time last year. It was just over a year ago. I signed up and I was supposed to go and then I got canceled. Yeah. And I haven't been able to rebook the one in Brampton. And I've checked periodically. I haven't checked maybe in the last couple of months. So maybe they've opened it up again. 
it, that Amazon tour it's in wild. person was, it was yeah. awesome. Yeah. Like it was, I, so I was, the second time I booked it, I wanted to take my family because I'm like, kids, you got to see this. Like, yeah. you know, so. It's unreal. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's unreal. So yeah, when you talk about sophisticated, you know, and that's, and I mean, th- that's their whole distribution center system. That's one thing. But even just the racking with some of these other companies, just the way they're doing the, the racking and the kind of inventory management and stuff. Yeah. It's, it's a whole different level than you, yeah. know, you would think when you, when you, you're not involved in the process, right? Yeah. Yeah. It, it's really amazing. Um, um, and so, you know, those buildings are hundred to, you know, 500,000 square feet, you know, they're, yeah. they're massive, massive buildings. Um, but they, the, like those big Amazon buildings, Amazon doesn't own them. They're leasing them, aren't they? They own some. Oh, do they own so like, but, some but, of the ones even here? Um, I'm not sure, you know, how it's sort of spread out, yeah. but I know in certain parts of the U.S. they'll work with... Um, you know, property managers and, and just, you know, uh, industrial owners. And they'll say, this is what I need. I want to be in this market. I need 250,000 square feet. And, you know, I need it in 18 months or whatever it is. And so you see markets like Texas where they'll have partners down there and they're building big buildings just because of the speed at which they can do stuff. Compared to here in Ontario, just things are going to take a lot longer. Yeah, so, I got it. Yeah, yeah. Just, I always looked at that. I'm like, why don't just buy the thing? Why are these guys leasing anything? Well, I think it's like a lot of companies. Like, if, if that's not their core specialty... Yeah, they don't they want to do, want to do it. it, right? Because yeah, it's just fair. another layer of overhead, and then they got to have a property manager or a property management team on staff to just kind of run things. I'd imagine they squeeze the lease rates down pretty good too, oh because if God. you're if you're the landlord, you're happy to have have Amazon there, so you'll you'll squeeze, allow your margins to be squeezed to have them there because you feel pretty certain about them to, for a long period of time. To have a AAA tenant like that, I mean, that's like gold. Yeah. However, you're right, they got you, and so they're, they're, they will really push hard. But I think the, the partnerships that I see do well, it's not just one building, you know, it's, it's multiple properties that Amazon is working with these, these, um, these developers on, and so there's a, there's a bit of back and forth and you sure. take on those ones, yeah. But I mean, if, if you contrast that to the other side of the, mar- the, the complete other side of the spectrum, you know, these small 2,000, 4,000, 5,000 square foot units, which we have a lot of, um, they are so easy to lease and you as a landlord are in such an advantageous um, position because those industrial tenants, those, those uh, businesses, they need that space. And this is a function of their business. They can't, you know, work from home. <laughs> they, they need this space to actually conduct their business. So, um, you know, you're in a much, much better position on the smaller side of that spectrum with your, with your business tenants, um, for those smaller units. So that's advantageous as well. And you, and those all, do all, there's the majority of the tenants you're seeing come, they need the ceiling height as well. Like, is it, is it more and more warehouse spacing that you're, that you're seeing demand for or no, they're, they just no. need it. No. Okay. No. So we, so we focus in on the smaller units what we call class B. So these are older vintage buildings. Typically we do have a, a building which we just completed brand new last year. But again, it doesn't have these, you know, uh, really, really tall ceiling heights. And so you're catering to a different, a different clientele there. These businesses are typically contractors, tradespeople. We have a restoration company tenant. Um, you know, we have tenants that uh, handle power equipment. And so it's a variety of just small businesses, tradespeople, contractors, typically. Um, although we have uh, one client who's now setting up a trampoline park in, in one of our units, so that's going to be fun. Um, but typically, the ceiling height, 22 foot high, like I said, is is really nice, but it's not a, it's not a not must a, yeah, in, okay. in that segment of the market. Those trampoline parks, man. Th- th- those kids' birthday parties. Oh, yeah. Th- th- those types of places. It's, it's amazing oh, how much no. revenue those things bring in, I think. It's unreal. Yeah. yeah. I, I didn't know much about it. And the other thing that really got me was the cost of the equipment. Just putting together just, you know, these play structures, trampolines, um, you know, all the different the, the ninja courses and things like yeah, that. Yeah, sure. Hundreds of thousands of dollars to put these things together. It's uh, it's it's pretty wild. Well, yeah. I mean, anytime my kids have gone to one of those, they've absolutely loved it. Yeah. And like they're miserable afterwards because right. they're exhausted. But at the time, they like it. My, uh, my son, both my sons play soccer. And one of my, uh, my younger son, his whole t- soccer team went. Oh my and, gosh! Uh, I did not want to be like, in that that place. There was it was bananas, and unfortunately, two of the kids sprained their ankles. So the coach was livid afterwards. <laughs> he said, "I didn't approve of that trip." So oh, well, yeah. well you get a group of look, and, yeah. and, and that a group of kids. I, I should say a group of adults. Like we went to the one of the early ones. I think it was the first one around here when it yeah. opened in Mississauga years ago. It was like a team event, right? And uh, 
we thought it was kind of going to be fun and we'd bounce around. We'd play some like dot, trampoline dodgeball. Sure. Yeah. Look, it got pretty serious pretty quick. Oh, and, I bet. And, yeah. and we were like, we were dripping. By the time we were done, the entire team was dripping in sweat. You know, because yeah. we were just, we were jumping around, drilling this ball. A bunch of type A personality people. Oh, yeah. You know, we got. I'm not like, losing. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. It was nuts. It's quite the workout. But yeah, yeah, with yeah. the kids, it's, uh, you know, I've seen. I've seen them before. They're just, they're like, like they're yeah. like flying objects. Oh, yeah. They're just like, they're like projectiles coming. I'm like, man, someone's going to get in oh, yeah. like bad way. So. And, and you don't think about consequences at that age. You know, you're just like, you're, just you're invincible that yeah, age. I mean, I still think it. I'm invincible sometimes. I, <laughs> yeah. I can barely do anything. 45, everything's breaking. <laughs> yeah, um, hey, so what about the change though? So, you know, this transition into this world, mm-hmm. looking back, you know, I guess you're you're still going down this path, so it feels like it's probably been a good transition for you. Yeah, it it, it definitely has, and I don't think I could you know go back to the corporate world now that I've I've had a couple years of of doing the entrepreneurship thing. Uh, mind you, it it was weird, right? Because I'm I'm starting this this new path, this new journey in the, in the middle of a pandemic, and and you know things are kind of off kilter or whatever, but. No, it, it's been uh, it's been a great transition. Honestly, it's it's you know again, real estate's something I'm passionate about, and then combining it with sort of the analytical side and a lot of the experience I had in project management, I think it's been a really good combination. Uh, we've been fortunate to do a lot of really great projects. We picked up some some you know quality properties, and so on the sort of the number side, it's things have gone really well. So we've been fortunate uh, in that regard. But yeah, it's, it's been a great ride so far. You're saying you keep saying we is it you yourself when you started? Do you have a partner? Yeah, just I have staff. That, uh, yeah, OK, yeah, gotcha, yeah, gotcha. Yeah. So on that side of it, though, isn't it, you know, going into a corporate sp- space or working, I guess, you know, even during COVID, but, you know, there's people around you, there's people you're talking to on a regular basis when it's just you behind a computer, you know, starting this thing out there's a, you know an element of loneliness to that yeah you know how did you kind of re- like is that a good thing bad thing for you like how did you respond to that I, it's different for sure it is so it and right and, and that's kind of the, the the struggle i think a lot of entrepreneurs have when they're just getting going uh me being more of an introvert and being more of an analytical guy i i don't mind the kind of solo jersey uh, journey um however I do find I need to have regular meetings with, you know, with my property managers. I need to have regular meeting with my, you know, marketing people and just kind of make sure that I'm scheduling that time to kind of, you know, interact and, and, and mix it up. But to, you know, to answer your question straight up, like, you know, be more introverted, the, the kind of, you know, doing my own thing and, and being focused is it, it wasn't that big of a deal for me. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so the, and you mentioned the property manager, so the management of these properties. How is it structured? So the, the way you kind of your role here is you're raising capital. Mm-hmm. You find the properties, you do the acquisition, correct, and then ultimately is the property manager doing the leasing for you? Are you involved in the leasing, uh, or they're just doing the, the the management afterwards? How does that? How do you have that set up? So if it's a brand new tenant, I'm working with a broker. Okay. Um, a real estate broker to uh, list the property for lease, to bring in the tenants, to you know show the place, just like you would do on the residential side. Um, you know the ongoing management of it. Obviously, that's the property manager's role. If there's a lease renewal and it's simple, that's something that I you know I can work on. If it's more complicated, we're going to flip it over and have my lawyer have a look at it. Things like that. The management of these types of things are relatively straightforward. I mean, other than like clearing parking lots and, you know, roof leaks, you know, I know there's HVAC systems, you know, like there's a few things, but other than those yeah. kind of big elements, really a, anything to do with the shell or exterior, you're, there's not much that comes yeah, up. Yeah, and that's the beauty of it too. I mentioned the, the triple net leases. So, um, you know, the maintenance of these buildings is pretty straightforward, right? Because like these tenants, they're not having... Uh, you know, very extravagant fit up of their units. You know, if you compare it to a unit like we're in right now where there's very high end finishes and things like that, that's not typically what's going on in an industrial unit. There'll be some offices, you know, there'll be a washroom, a lunchroom, and then the, the rest of it, probably 70% of it is going to be warehouse space for storage. And that stuff is that, you know, that's pretty easy to maintain. Yeah. I remember our dad's old uh, drywall business. He'd walk in, there was a little kind of, you know, entryway with two chairs there yep. was, then there was like an open space had a couple desks in it there was two separate offices one for the estimator one for him and his partner and then yeah the bathroom and you're right the, the rest right. was the warehouse space and that space 
which is still there because we have to drive by every every time we go to our parents' house, we drive by those office spaces. And yeah. and, and to your point, I, I'm just thinking about this now, to your point about the smaller units being easier to rent out, you know, there, I don't know how big that was, but there was a number of units just, in, it was almost like a little bit of an industrial or commercial little strip mall type thing, you know, like a square that you can kind of just go around with the warehouse space in, in the middle of it. Yeah. And um, yeah, those businesses, you know, they, they turn over uh, somewhat regularly. I, I don't know the whole ones, the ones you can, are, that are visible yeah. from the street. Right. And it doesn't take too long for like, I'm not paying attention too closely, but it doesn't take well, too long for the new one to pop up. Right. And, and that's a good point, Nick. So, you know, this, this sort of standard commercial lease is going to be of, you know, five plus five or something like that. So a five year minimum. However, lease rates have been increasing so quickly. I know a lot of landlords who don't want to be, they don't want to sign a five year lease with a tenant right now because they want to make sure that they're tracking with what the market is doing. Right? Really? Oh yeah. So, so a lot of, um, you know, tenants will come in and say, yeah, I want, you know, I want a five plus five at my option if I want to renew and, and here we go and we'll set the rates. And a lot of landlords will say, eh, I'll give you three because, you know, if rates keep going up the way they have been in the last couple of years, we're going to be way under market at that, you know, five year mark. So, um, so that's something that really is, is uh, something that you got to look out for. So, yeah. Why do you think rates have gone up so much there? Because for a while with, you know, during, and I know these are different, they're not office office space, yeah. you know, and there's more vacancy there and things right. like that. But even during COVID, people are like, oh, no one's coming into work. You know, no one's going to, going to go back to work. The office, yeah. office space isn't needed. And I know there's a, a good chunk of warehouse, but if the office space wasn't needed, well, then they have more warehouse, you know. Yeah. So like what's driving, because it hasn't been normal appreciation rates. So what right. do you think's driving those, those those rates up this this far and fast over the last few years? Well, I, I think it's a couple things. One is e-commerce, again, so for those big buildings, and that trickles down into some of the so, uh, smaller industrial spaces, e-commerce is, is a big driver. Does it sure. trickle down because it pushes other businesses out of those spaces so they can't afford them anymore? Yeah, yeah, yeah okay. it's, it's just having that impact as well. And and even like you, you will see startup, you know, drop shipping companies and things like that, they'll set up in a, you know, 5,000 square foot unit and, and away they go. So, so it is having a sort of direct and indirect impact from there. I think the other thing that's, uh, that's driving it too is, um, just the fact that, uh, you know, these, these, um, industrial buildings are essential to, to what we're doing. If, if we look back over the last few years and what happened in the pandemic, the only two asset classes that really you know, continued to to move upward in terms of, of how well they were doing are is the residential sort of multi-unit residential, which, you know, we're just everybody needs a home. Right. So those those things continue to go up. And then the industrial um, buildings, the industrial properties. And that's because those were two. If you look specifically through the pandemic, those were two asset classes that people needed. They needed a place to live. And those industrial buildings were typically housing essential type services you know contractors restoration companies e-commerce so people weren't going to work to shopping malls but they still needed things and so they were ordering them uh, them through the internet and then they were having to touch an industrial building at some point if you if you look at everything you order right you know online it, it eventually has got to touch an industrial building so so that's the other sort of thing driving it, right? It's 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 this essential property of of, uh, of industrial, mm -hmm. and I think probably the third thing is the flexibility. So I mentioned the types of tenants we have. We have tenants that have a lot more office, and some which really just need a whole warehousing space. So the flexibility of these of these properties, I think, is is really advantageous, and uh, especially for smaller businesses, uh, this is something that uh, can give them and some flexibility and help them kind of grow. If they want to take on a you know maybe a two thousand square foot unit, but they know that they're in a multi tenant type building and they maybe can expand into the one next to them as they grow as a business. That gives them a lot of options. They don't have to worry about uh, you know some of these higher cost places that they might get into. Mm -hmm. I'm just thinking yeah. in the past during recessions, those types of buildings they get hammered pretty good when some of those those places you know closed when when businesses really get hit. Now we haven't seen that yet yeah. from a business side. The economy's definitely slowed. We, we were talking about rates sooner, and I don't know. Uh, sorry, earlier, and I don't know if that's going to occur here. Um, 
But that's the that's the flip side of that. Of when there is a, a downturn, which now we're in this economy that's so manufactured, right? We've relo- we've removed all free market force almost, right? Yeah. It's all stimulus, and as soon as the economy starts slowing, everyone's looking at the government. They're like, "Hey, when are you going to drop rates? Right? When are you going to print money? How are you going to get this thing going again?" Yeah. There's no up and down. So, I'm curious to see, you know, what the impact could or would be this time because yeah. if, if the way the economy structured it just feels like it's less unless it really goes like unless it really explodes and then then it's then it's deep and then it's hard yeah you know and on those types of things i guess that's the flip side of that yeah for sure but i think you know you look at office buildings and they've been hammered over the last few years yeah because people are working from home, you know, businesses don't need all of that office space. If half your staff wants to work from home, maybe you don't need to be downtown in a high-priced high um, address or location. So, you know, if you look at all of those qualities, that's the opposite of what an industrial building is going to offer you. I mean, it's, it's, these are boring buildings. They, they're a necessity. They're a function of the business. And you can't work from home, right? You mm. can't send those shipper receiver guys to work from their yeah. garage, right? No, no, I, I get yeah. that. I guess what yeah. I'm trying to figure out is just the the economic downturn where those businesses, not that they can't work from home, they don't exist. And then that changes that that aspect of thing. You know, that's what, yeah. And on the office side, it's what's interesting that we saw about the office side is we saw rates here in like these kind of outside of Toronto, the rates were increasing even on the office side. Yeah. And I, I just, I wonder what would have happened to the office market, um, you know, because the vacancies still, I mean, the vacancies are still pretty big there, yeah. but the ones in Toronto, the, 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 there so much of that space is owned by these, you know, these the, like banks, insurance companies, this type of stuff. If it was owned by other types of companies, yeah. how would, how would have that reshaped that that market i'm i'm curious to know i don't i don't know like i yeah. don't have the answer i'm just i'm curious because if it was like companies other companies they'd be like well screw you i'm i'm done i'm like i'm walking away from this lease this this you know these 30 floors that i don't need right. anymore they've been empty for the last two years yeah, like i'm yeah. out of here right right so I'm, I'm i'm curious but whereas i don't know what was worked out and what what kind of like funding they got you know that yeah. kind of stuff so it's just it it's it's weird yeah but yeah that that I, it's more that question like i, I agree i agree wholeheartedly like the, the businesses here those are the businesses that they're, they're pretty recession resistant yeah but but the last so like if you look at the late 80s early 80s early 90s when there yeah. was a big housing downturn so look at my our dad's business for example that drywall business very well yeah they were that so they they were one of those tenants they were gone yeah a lot of electrician like a lot of those types of the the types of the the types of businesses that are you take up those spaces for so there was a period of time there where there were no jobs in those spaces yeah. and those ones just those ones dried up pretty quick right right, right. well I, I but i think so i would agree with you and and if we're having a major recession a lot of businesses across the board are going to get hit you know and oh, totally, totally yeah you know so but i think at that you know the only thing you can do is just look at okay how how risky am I getting? You know, what is what is my risk tolerance with the types of tenants that I'm leasing to, right? So if if it's a restoration company, that's one of our, our tenants, for example. Even in a recession, you're gonna need a restoration. A little bit, yeah, a you know little bit a little bit less than something else that's maybe just a one off you know, trade or something. Versus yeah, somebody selling, you know, sunflower sunglasses on the internet yeah, or something, you yeah, know, yeah. like yeah. Or yeah. something like uh I don't know if they would be a good fit for those types of properties, but if you you as a business example, like interior design. Yeah. You know, the restoration company is gonna be they're, they're gonna have business coming to them for a lot longer than interior design because if there's a downturn, interior design is one of the things that gets cut earlier than, yeah. than they it's a luxury yeah. versus Totally. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I just so that tenant profile. Yeah, it's more. I think the question is more. I just don't know what the hell is going on with the economy. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Because they, <laughs> they both. Yeah, <laughs> because they just the way they do things. So, how has that impacted you over the last? I guess your funding's fixed. So the last couple of years of interest rate hikes hasn't really changed much. Well, for the properties you already own, it, it's been tougher to underwrite properties, right? Because you know when interest rates were super low, everything was penciling great, and the numbers look good, and you could just throw. A Starting the board and hit, you know, oh, I'll buy that one. So it's it's made, you know, the kind of your hit ratio go down quite a bit because, you know, you're going to have to sift through probably, you know, 50 or 60 deals before you get to one that goes, okay, yeah, let's let's have a further look at that one. So, you, you, you know, you have to be a lot more uh, picky about things. Um, but yeah, the rates 
just like any other real estate asset class on the industrial side, rates have an impact, right? And so our cost of financing is going up. Um, we're doing a refinance right now and it's, uh, it's tough, you know, and, and lenders are not what they were two years ago in terms of the appetite to take on risk. So prices have leveled, I guess, a little bit. If they come down, come off a little bit of froth, it's come off the top a little bit? A, a little bit. But here's, the, here's, again, the beautiful thing about industrial real estate and commercial real estate from a broader perspective is that as long as you're increasing your net operating income, you're forcing appreciation up, right? So we've been able to, to increase our lease rates over the last couple of years, which has actually pushed the values of our properties up, right? So... So it is a bit, you know, when you're comparing it to the residential side where all you're doing is you're comparing what your neighbor sold it for and that's going to affect the price of your house and you're not really valuing yeah. those smaller residential properties on NOI, it's a different animal. So, yeah. Yeah. We, but it, that's changed a bit though. We, because like, is one, one thing that we've always often explained explain to investors who've wanted to kind of re rehab and flip properties yeah. is exactly that point. I go, the challenge with it is that it's an emotion driven, driven price right. when you're trying to kind of get rid of it. But if, but as more people have put in second and third units and stuff, then a lot more of them are selling. Like if you look at student properties as an example, not all those are selling based on the income. Correct. Right. And yeah. same with the second and third units. So it's a little bit less, I, I guess as the investment side has kind of expanded beyond the, the more typical single unit, single family home rental. True. Right? Because then that's where you... I'm using that as an example. Yeah, yeah, sort of your plain Jane, you know, here's a cookie cutter house on a cookie cutter street yeah. and that's that. Yeah. Well, it's like the condos, right? Yeah. It's like oh, the yeah. Condo. It's the condos. That's the extreme. Right? Yeah, because you can't sell it to an investor because yeah. the investor's not going to pay the price. Like right now, not all of them, but many of them aren't going to pay the price that, the, that some people will want. Correct. Because the numbers just don't make any sense. Right? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, what about... Um, how many your acquisitions? How many like what are you looking to do on a yearly basis? Like, what's the goal for you to kind of keep growing this thing? Yeah, so I mean, I'm not looking to to scale this into you know a billion dollar company or anything like that. Again, uh, one of the reasons I left the corporate world was I just wanted more balance, right? So the 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 business is really catered to to the lifestyle I want to build, yeah, that's and, awesome. and you know, so that's very intentional in the way I'm doing that. So what that means is, is you know, I, I want this to be sustainable and successful and, and to progress forward. But, you know, our goal is to be doing two, possibly three, you know, mid-market deals sort of in that two to $10 million range every year, right? And so on the industrial side, a deal, one deal could take six to nine months to complete, right? By the time you're done your due diligence, you get through financing, you got your onboarding, your tenants, like all that kind of stuff. So that can really get drawn out. So if we're doing, you know, again, a couple of those, three of those every year, that's going to be a success. And we're, and we're picking those properties uh, properly, then then that's going to be a successful year. And that's really the, the pace that we want to be going on. And, and it's sustainable because we'll be adding, you know, maybe one or two staff in terms of property management every couple of years and, and kind of go from there. So so that's really the the sort of level I want to be at. And you're adding the property managers yourself. So there's their staff. You're not using a, a property management company. You're hiring staff yourself in-house to handle that stuff? No, no, no. We're, we're, we're contracting out the property oh, management. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. yeah. You, brought, you mentioned lifestyle. Mm-hmm. You brought this this book over. This, the, you, you said you read really liked halftime. Yeah. And so explain. So then, so this is, it feels like then this transition for you was halftime. Yeah, it, it was right. If you, if you look back, um, I've spent 20 years plus doing the, uh, corporate gig and, um, you know, I'm in my late forties now and <laughs> approaching that point in my life where, you know, I've, I've got maybe 20 good years left in terms of, uh, you know, career that I really want to be dedicating full time to. So it was kind of an appropriate point. And that's, uh, what, and to, that's yeah. what this is about. So it's about yeah. halftime. Like, hey, like, you know, yeah. I, I, the, the subtitle of this thing, which makes perfect sense, moving from success to significance. Yeah. So it means just instead of just going down the what the standard path, I haven't read it in a while, but it's just the standard path. Yeah. It's about deciding what you really want to be doing now. Yeah, ex and I think it's it's a time for reflecting on obviously what's worked and what hasn't worked in the past. And I think a lot of us type A type uh, personalities have been go 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 and just full on for a couple decades, right? And and we've you know been raising families and we've been increasing in our career and doing businesses and things like that. 
And sometimes it's been at the sacrifice of other things, right? Mm-hmm. It's, 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 you know, so I think it's a time to kind of take stock uh, at your midlife halftime and think about what kind of impact you want to make, you know, going forward in that second half. And, you know, obviously, you know, let's, let's be honest, time is not our friend now. We're, we're kind of entering into that second half of life and, um, you know, we really got to squeeze the most out of it. So some of the things that, you know, you do in the first part of your life, you, you got to start saying no to now, right? And, and, and really kind of prioritize what, if you haven't already, the things that you want to be looking at uh, spending your time on. How old are your kids? Uh, 14 and 13. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you get to that point where they're getting a little bit older, they're spending more time with their friends. Yeah. A little bit less time with mom and dad. For sure. Right. And then, yeah. And it's a weird, how old are your... Uh... See, that's why That's why I'm saying my, my oldest is, 13, she'll be 14 this year. So she's 13 and my my other daughter turns 10 um, in a couple weeks. It's a weird thing. Yeah. Yeah, when they become teenagers and it's just kind of like you drop them off at the mall or something at their friends and it's... Oh my God, my daughter, they always want to go to the mall. I'm like, please, can you just go anywhere else? Like, just don't go. And she's like, okay, we'll go to Starbucks. Oh my God, oh my God. That, those are the two options. <laughs> so Yeah, it is but, weird. But yeah, that and that's why it kind of... Yeah, it, 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 it's it's strange because you can see the end. It's the beginning of the, not the end, but yeah, it's the beginning of the time they're going to spend with you really dropping off a cliff. Right, yeah. And then it kind of causes you to pause and look around a little bit like, hmm, you know, for, for that period of time, you've given a lot to them and a lot, a lot of the time was chewed up by them. Oh, for sure. And it's going to now a lot of that time gets freed up and I feel like, you know, I'm not really there yet, but I feel like if you can look around and be like, Oh man, like I kind of got to be doing something here or, yeah. or you run the risk of getting into a bit of a rut and feeling like maybe you're lost a little bit. I don't know because I haven't been through yeah. it. Right. But I, I kind of get that. But you can sense. see it there. You yeah. can see it on the, on the horizon. Yeah. Yeah. For that's sure. interesting. And then when you were, um, and that's not a unique thing. Like, like, I think a lot of people are feeling like that too, right? You know, when they get to this point. I think it's normal. Yeah. Right? From what, what some people have told me, they're like, yeah, that's like, you know, some very common times for divorce is when when people first have children because they think having a, they didn't have a great relationship to begin with. And, right. And for some magical reason, they thought the, the kid was going to make it better. Right. And, and. You know, I don't know. You know, from my experience, having very young children at home doesn't do much to strengthen a relationship. <laughs> you know, because everyone's just like, "What the heck is going on?" It's right? like the stress test we used to talk about, right? Yeah, yeah, it's exactly. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what it is. It's the stress test. So, um, so, and then, and then it's after the kids kind of leave because then the parents have to look at each other again and be like, "Huh, so right. okay, like, do we yeah. feel kind of light? Like, you know, we've spent. Let's like, start dating again. Yeah, you know. So, and, and so it's, yeah. it's just. Weird. It's a weird time because, like I said, with you know my nine-year-old's not there yet, right. um, but the thirteen-year-old is very much there. Where yeah. I'm just like, holy cow! So she'll be fourteen this year. I'm like, and so in, in four years, if she goes away to school, yeah, that's like she's got four, basically four and a half years. She might not be at home, which seems to me the most outrageous thing. Like I, I can't wow. even fathom that. Yeah. Right. Where you're, you have one that's even closer. It might be even even less years before he or she's gone. Yeah. Yeah. And and it's, I have two sons, right? And and they're you know they starting to flex their independence a little bit <laughs> and stuff, you know. And and you gotta have those conversations. But yeah, those are all like you said, they're all normal kind of feelings to have at this at this point. But you know, I th- I think I think it's healthy. I mean, ultimately, I think it's healthy to kind of go through this and and just really kind of think about it because you know you you want to set yourself up for success in in, in that yeah. second half of your life you know is was there an element of that as seeing your kids getting older maybe showing them that there's some other opportunities maybe building something that maybe has a little bit more of a um, you know, not that what you, you were doing before didn't have a, more of a lasting impact, but if you're if you're kind of growing an asset base that could be kind of passed on and stuff, it seems like there could yeah. be something there. Was was did any of that come into mind when you were looking at kind of doing getting into this type of stuff? Yeah, that's a good question, Nick. Um, it, it did, it did, and so one of the things you know, as, as part of this thinking and, and reflecting is you start thinking about legacy, right? You start thinking about what you're going to be leaving behind. And again, like, you know, I don't want to get too morbid about this, but like, no, just, but, but I mean, it's thinking, reality. It's reality. Yeah. yeah. You know, and you, you just, you have to consider it. And so, you know, I, I think, 
if you can leave something that's not only a financial inheritance, but it's it's a business and maybe it's an opportunity for your kids to get involved, you know, either in the management of a portfolio of properties or maybe there's there's a way that they can um, you know, gain some skills and expertise and maybe become leaders and hiring other people, then these are all great things to kind of like pass on to your kids, right? So definitely that that definitely played a played a factor in it. And and it was something that I, you know, again was very intentional about. Yeah. I've been trying to show my kids a little bit more. One is more, ask, will ask more questions about the properties and why do we have these and why are people there and why do they yeah. are paying us money? You know, so there's some interest there. And, and I had this, you know, this magical idea of this current property that was actually just at the one that was had me running late today. Right. Um, I had to go pick up a key fob, an extra key fob for the tenant. So, so um, as the registered owner, I had to go get it. Right. So yeah. I go in. Uh, so anyways, just, took me a few extra minutes but um the idea with this property was to have my kids more involved with the management that's why this one was close to home right i had this magical idea i was like this the, the numbers on this aren't great but i'm gonna buy it close to home is it a townhouse or uh, a yeah it's a stack town, it's a stack stack, stack town. Okay. so i'm like i'll buy it close to home uh you know because it's a stack town so it's, there's some condo fees the management's relatively easy there's not as much to take care of so my kids right. at this age will kind of see it they'll be involved and stuff my gosh, they like just the first time we took them there. I'm like, hey guys, so this property, and then I'm like, in the future, this property can be there. Maybe they live in it. Maybe it's an investment. They keep it as an investment, like whatever yeah. it is. That's the idea. The property's for them, right? But they have to kind of be involved in it. My God, to get the first of all to get them there. Oh, right. We have to go. And I was like, <laughs> if you saw my face, I'm like, yeah, we have to go. Be quiet. Get in the truck right now. I can't believe you're being like this. I'm right? doing this for you. Yeah. <laughs> and then and you're gonna enjoy it, damn it. And then when we're there, my. <laughs> youngest daughter's like how much longer and I'm like I forget what I said I'm like look we're leaving in like two minutes she's yeah, like, okay yeah. one two no word of a lie she starts counting and oh I'm my like, god I was like Ava this is not gonna work well okay yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. don't, don't do this. So <laughs> it was uh yeah it got really uh it was interesting yeah it, it was interesting so I mean I'm, I'm still uh I'm still learning how to I don't care if they ever invest in real estate like yeah. it's not they don't have to invest in I just want them to understand you know that there are other ways that are aren't regularly shown to them in the typical education system we have that's all i care about right. like i just want them to understand here's how the world works and there's this side of of things of rentals there's that side of rentals there's this just so you have an idea of the landscape and it maybe it, it broadens your horizon a bit and then you decide whatever you want to do if you yeah. never do it great i don't care but as long as you know about it for sure um and you know so I, i'm just curious so your your kids are a little bit older than mine little, you've yeah. transitioned into this type of stuff have you seen is there any kind of spark of interest i thought age i know it's tough at 13 and 14 you care so much about your friends but well uh, yeah i'll tell you a funny story so uh last you know november 1st yeah bring your kids to work day so i brought my oldest guy lucas the 14 year old with me and so you know we were running around some boring stuff i had to i had some rent checks i had to deposit and different things and we visited which I, are like great like like the, the yeah. income coming to the business is such a great thing well, but you're right it's a boring thing it's but a yeah. boring thing <laughs> but i said here look at that check and oh, okay you know and so his eyes perked up a little bit and then um we still have some residential properties in the portfolio so we went and visited some of those and saw the tenants and you know picked up a few things and you know ran around and so it was a fun day but um i got to asking lucas i said you know, have you thought about what you want to do uh, and study in university? And he says, no, I don't think I want to go to university. He said, I just want to do real estate. Like, this is kind of fun. This is cool. You know, you go around, you talk to people, you deposit checks. And I, at the first instinct is, well, hold on a sec. You're going to university, right? Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. You, that dad thing kicks in and is like, no, 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 you're going to go study. <laughs> and then I said, well, hold on. He's thinking outside the box, right? And so... This is cool. And so before I kind of snapped at him, I said, all right, well, tell me more. He said, well, you know, I can kind of learn from you and I'll just, you know, I'll be able to work with the tenants and, uh, you know, this I can kind of learn as I go. And I thought, okay, I like that ambition. But I said, you know, what you should probably consider is going and maybe you don't have to take a master's degree, but you should go and learn some uh, you know, financial skills or go and take some, uh, a business degree or something like that, or a diploma at least. And so I got him thinking about that, but it was, it was very cool. His first instinct was like, no, I'm just going to go for it, you know? And then, you know, I can kind of do it that way. So I like that thinking because, you know, 
growing up, I, I mean, you, your dad had his own business, but you know, I come from a more traditional sort of, you know, kind of uh, nine to five kind of household where, you know, both my parents were working and for somebody else. And so, you know, starting a business and doing your own thing, that was not really kind of in my mindset growing up. It was just, you know, high school, university, get a corporate job and away you go. Whereas I think exposing kids to these types of ideas and, and things like that in early age is, is awesome, right? Yeah, because so it just kind of will go from there. You've expanded, you know, his horizons are expanded yep. because of what he's seen, which is cool. Like that alone yep. is is so very awesome. cool to me. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, if my kids came home and, and, and told me that, you know, I, I've, all, I'm, I've already told them, like, as long as you need a, you need a plan, like I yeah. need a plan. I want an understanding of it's not just like well I don't think you're going to go right okay well is what's the plan? what's the plan? you know is there a real business plan in place for something you're going to be doing yeah I don't think I think that's something my wife and I would probably disagree on and she's kind of just said she's like no they're going to you know there's right. university college I don't know whatever some sort of post secondary thing yeah. they're going they need that and, right 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 and I'm kind of like I don't know there's this thing called YouTube yeah right? and you can learn a lot <laughs> on it right? so um, yeah that'll be yeah that'll be interesting to see when they, you know which yeah. way they which way they had but that is the best though just just seeing and again it goes back to this thing about time right like if you're able to to set your kids on a path um with just understanding money or business or real estate and, and thinking about assets and, you, and if you could do that when they're in their teens i mean geez like it's an amazing thing oh well the time is is, is changes everything because if you could take all the lessons and, and this is something i've, I've tried to share um, with, with my daughter gets very competitive with me and not, and not, be, I've, you know, I've, I've talked to my wife about this. I'm like, I, I don't feel right. like I, I put this in her. She's like, no, like you haven't been like that with her. So, and I, I try to explain to her, I'm like, Hey, like, I want you to be better than me. Do right. I mean? Like I want, that's my yeah. goal. So like, but if you can, sometimes I try, I'm like, Hey, can you just listen sometimes? Right, <laughs> you know, right. like I've done a lot of stupid things. I've made these mistakes. So if I can share with you, I'm not trying to say this because like I'm your dad and I'm like, Hey, I'm your dad. You need to listen yeah. to me. I'm like, I've done the stupid thing. I've learned the lesson. If you can now take that lesson, you're, you get to start at whatever, 15, 20 years old, where I was at 40 years old, yeah. you're flipping 20 years ahead of me. Right. You know, that's, that's the, the goal. But it's when you're young, I mean, I didn't, it was hard for me to listen to anyone you know so that's the bow that the, the you know right. the challenge with that i think yeah so you were you the like the rebellious one between you and tom or was he yeah i mean tom yeah. definitely did, had his share too for sure i mean everyone okay. went through their stages my share was probably a little bit more aggressive for a little bit longer maybe yeah. than tom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so um yeah. you know maybe more extreme You're the younger I, brother i don't yeah. know yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah like he he basically threw the blocks you know the parent <laughs> right, the kid right. the parents were worried about like hey what's going on with this guy yeah, older hey, man. and it was like this, one. Yeah. yeah, this younger kid, they're like, I don't know, let's just hope this this older one survives, you know. Let, if, the, if, if we do, um, you know, good enough on the on the older one, he'll rub off on the younger one. Yeah. But I grew up in a generation, like, it's so weird. I laugh at, at, within our family. I'm like, look, we're raising bubble babies, you know. And because oh, the, yeah. my parents were literally, they didn't know anything. Like, we left the house yeah. and we kind of came back around when we were supposed to. And that was it. They had no idea what the yeah. heck was going when, on. When the streetlights go on? You got to come home. That's, yeah. that's what it was in the summers. And, you know, I, and back then, if you had a, a bike was freedom. If you had a bike, you were gone. Oh, we were gone. Yeah. You were yeah. Just gone. And we yeah. had, I lived on a street, like right around us. There was, um, there was, uh, within about three years of me, there was well, one, two, there was about five or six of us all yeah. within, the, you know, and it, so it was just like a little gang, a, yeah. a little gang of, of, of boys running around the neighborhood. Like it was just a disaster. And so yeah. we were gone to doing God knows what. And some things I don't even remember. Like, you know, it's not like we were, you know, we weren't doing criminal activity or something, you know, right, things right, like right. that. But it's yeah. just, we weren't also like, you know, sitting, talking on the front porch. That's for sure. For sure. You know, so it's, uh, yeah, it's weird. It's, it's it's definitely a different time. Yeah, yeah. But that's cool. That's cool that they're looking at that. Yeah. So, um, how do you structure things? So you you like obviously capital intensive business mm -hmm. for you. So you had some capital, I'm sure, yeah. to continue to grow this. Most investors then they you know the the biggest thing that they do is they run out of capital and then right. they start working with others. And I guess you kind of went down that path too. Yeah, did you go down so, that path right away, or how how do you how do you kind of get rolling with it? No, I, so I definitely have my own capital yeah. in our deals, but we the way we set up um, our our acquisitions now is in a limited partner general partner uh, setup, right? So we're the general partner. We you know acquire, manage, handle all aspects of of the real estate, 
And then uh, the limited partner would be accredited investors who come on board. They're going to invest passively uh, with us and then, you know, basically sign on to that partnership agreement. So, you know, they're able to get the returns out of it, invest passively, and then we handle it as a general partner. So that's typically how it's structured. The general partner, us, we're going to be investing in the deal as well. But the majority of the funds, you know, going forward is going to be um, from those limited partners. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But if you don't know when the deals are going to be, how do you then communicate with, do you just, I guess, get people on a list if, they have, yeah. if they're interested? And then when a deal comes up, you kind of let people know like, hey, there is something if you're, that yeah. int- you know, if now's the time for you or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So we have an investor database and, and basically we're, we're, you know, we're having calls and, you know, in contact with people and telling about, you know, here's a deal we did recently and this is what it looks like and this is you know if you were to come in at this much this is what the return would be and, and so we're breaking it down and using case studies once a deal's live then obviously we have real numbers to share and we're going to send that out to people and then you know actually have very specific conversations on that some other shops do it some other investment um companies will set up uh, like a fund and do it that way yeah that's what i was just gonna ask you're doing project by project we're doing project it just it's much simpler doing it that way um, there's just a lot more red tape setting up a fund and, and just, you know, having an ongoing, it, it, it is a lot more versatile. I will say that, um, you know, so it's something we've looked into, but right now for, for what we want to do, it's, it's much more, um, you know, beneficial to do it project by project. Hmm. Yeah. And then you're dealing with a lot of personnel, like, like the flip side of that is there's a lot of people then asking you questions, dealing with personalities, like, you know, yeah. and you know, then well, like if there's a cash call at a building, which I, in that yeah. space, it's le- less likely, you know, but I, I yeah. guess if there was a major structural issue or something, you know, there's yeah. that type of stuff to consider. It's just. And, and that's why we keep the size of investors on any deal pretty tight. Yeah. We, we don't want to cast the thousands. Right. Because then you're managing everything and anything. And hey, what about this? And can I come to see the property tomorrow? And can you meet me? for? So, I mean, you know, we love our investors. We we want them to be successful. But, um, you know, we specifically keep things pretty tight um, just so that one, there's enough time to dedicate to them if there are things coming up. But two, it's just a lot more. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Something else just came to mind. You know that the platform Addy? Yeah. Them out of the events. Because so now we know, um, you know, on a smaller scale, people that have used Addy to, to raise capital. And then on a, on a decent size scale, too, like uh, Mike and Luke, who are the, some developers, on they have some properties in the Scarborough area. They yep. just finished, uh, they just closed on most of the units. Um, they did a mid-rise condo. Yep. And I, I forget what project they use Addy for, but they just recently yep. launched a project on Addy and they were doing some capital raise that way. And I'm just wondering how, the, you know, does, could that play into something here? That is, yeah, so we've actually been talking to Addy. About, oh, have you? I yeah, didn't yeah, realize. Yeah, no. So, so we've been talking to Addy since, uh, you know, for probably about three months now. So um, it's something we're looking into because, you know, crowdfunding, why not? You know, if, if people want to invest, you know, a hundred bucks or a thousand bucks and there's a platform like Addy to aggregate those, then that's something that we're looking at. Yeah, right? yeah. because at that level too, then people aren't like, hey, wait, you know, where's my money? Because if it's right. 500 bucks. It's not like this life-changing yeah. money for them, yeah. right? So like... That's uh, that's kind of cool. That would be cool to see too. Yeah. But um, yeah. So we've definitely been talking with those guys. Um, so typically, you know, the way they're working is they're doing the crowdfunding, obviously, and then they're working with what's called an exempt market dealer, who's actually got all the regulatory regulatory uh, framework. To all for the offering. Them, that's for the right. offering memorandum. So so those two kind of go hand in hand. So yeah. yeah, yeah. I forgot about that whole side. You know, the whole legal side. I just kind of blocked that out. Legal, yeah, legal paperwork. I, I just kind of blocked that stuff out. <laughs> oh my gosh, I remember. Years ago, someone off that, some Bay Street lawyer came to us. They're like, hey, we want to start a fund. We want to do this with you guys. We want to do this. And we just yeah. kind of took a glance at like, you know, just all the regulatory stuff. And we're just like, you know, I'm, we're just not interested. Especially at that time. Like we were still like yeah. really kind of focused on growing. It wasn't, you know, and I was just like, this is just not a path I right. want to go down. It's just so messy, right? Yeah. I mean, I think from, from people that I've talked to that have gone through it, once you get through all those hurdles and do it, then it's, it is a great thing is very versatile to have that but again it, it's got to fit with your strategy and what you're doing right how does how do the um and then what's the exit strategy for these things like as an investor so if you if someone invests in one of these projects mm-hmm. they're long term i guess they're getting some sort of dividends spitting out from yep. the, from the income of the property and what's the exit strategy like is there one 
You know? Yeah. So the deal will be underwritten based well, whatever it is, right? So if it's you know sometimes a shorter term deal, it's it's maybe three years in and out, but that's not typically what we're doing. We're looking at five years plus. Um, just to kind of coincide with the lease structure and the way that we want to be managing these properties. So again, because it's project specific, all those investors will be earning those dividends along the way, and then they'll be cashed out and then you know receive their uh, receive their profi- uh, proceeds based on the sale of the property. At so that time. buy a property, get it leased up, try to maximize yeah. rents, sell it for yeah. you know value at that time, whenever that time is. Once right there, right. And again, we're not. It's, this is not like flipping where we're going to be in and out in six months or a year. Yeah, I so it's you. it's longer term. So people can kind of say, oh, you know, if I invest in this and here's the equity multiple, here's the expected return, and it's going to be five years. Um, which I think but you mean you're not going to get you're not going to become a, a multimillionaire in in like 30 days <laughs> without doing anything. I just I didn't know I, I, I thought that's what you were, what you were well, offering. Why did we have this conversation? Yeah, exactly. Get out of here. Didn't you hear <laughs> what is it? Real estate's get rich slow. That's what it is. Yeah, right? oh, yeah. Man, I, I can't tell you the number of people like you know the last few years on our side of things has been. You know, I mean, look, it's been great on the business and stuff like that, but it's just so many people are coming to us. We're like, yeah, I just, I just, I just want my property. You know, yeah. it's, it's real estate. Like, it never goes down. It's, it's, it's this, and we're like, guys, slow right. down. Like, this is like the weird, the most abnormal time. Yeah, but I, I think it speaks to, you know, just an example like that. I, it, it speaks to the fact that people really need to come up with a strategy for how they want to invest, right? So if someone says, oh, I want to get into real estate, okay, well. Do you want cash flow? Do you want appreciation? Exactly. How quickly do you need your money out? Um, what kind of lifestyle do you want as 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 the real estate investor? Yeah. How much of your time and energy do you want on that? You exactly. know, do you want to be completely hands off and take a little bit less return, or do you want it? You know, ex- exactly. You know, yeah. So so again, yeah, active versus passive. You know, and and I think it's important to understand that because a lot of people, especially like you know that I talk to, will come in and say, oh hey. I got $100,000, what do I do with it? And it's like, whoa, just hold on. That's great. You've yep. got some money to invest, but let's kind of map it out because, um, you know, the notion sometimes is I'm just going to go buy a property and how hard could it be and let's figure it out and roll 100%. up our sleeves. And, you know, I've, we've both done that and we've been weekend warriors and kind of, you know, renovating duplexes and stuff like that back in the day. And I think it's good to learn that, but if that's not going to support what your strategy is, then it you, there's lots of options out there, right? So, you know, we offer passive invested, but if that's not for you because of your strategy, then there's lots of active ways to, to earn money as well. So yeah, mapping that strategy out and again, mapping it back to your goals and what you want, where you want to be in five to 10 years is, is super important. Yeah, 100%. And there's yeah. stages, right? Like when I was in my early 20s when I started investing, yeah, I was putting all the sweat equity myself. Mm-hmm. Because to me, I had more time than I did money. So yeah. it was like, that's how I was kind of offsetting it. Yeah. But then as you have more responsibilities and family, like at this stage for me, do I want to be going down to the property, you know, to some sort of property and doing the work myself every, every weekend? Well, yeah. no, like, you know, my kids have riding lessons I want to be at and cheer, you know, and there's exactly. other commitments and, you know, yeah. and my week's a lot busier now than it was during that nine to five job then. So I just, I, I would rather than use money to then kind of offset and buy back my time to be able to do other things. There's the, you know, it's just, there's no one way. And there's, you know, it doesn't mean that I wouldn't do it. Mm-hmm. I don't know under what circumstances I will. I'm trying to think about it, you know, yeah. but it doesn't mean I wouldn't do it again, but I just mean, you know, it's not that I'll never do it, but it's just the circumstances have to be right. So it's just, there's yeah. never like one best way. Yeah. You know, that's what I find everyone wants. They want like, hey, what's the best way? Yeah, yeah. How, what's the best, easiest, fastest thing that's going to give me the biggest return? The most optimal structure. I just want it right now. Yeah. And, just, and then, you know, 48 hours later, boom, you yeah. know, it's all done, right? I want and it right like, now too, by the way. Hey, hey, if you find out what the best way is, let me know. We'll talk. So, yeah, 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 we'll talk. Yeah. yeah. Um, Hey, for anyone looking to reach out to you, so if someone, I guess, people to reach out to you for, I don't know, what do you want to reach out to you for? Obviously, if they're interested in, in, in one of these projects or more details on one of the upcoming ones you might have, do you have a website to yep. you? Is there an email? Like, what's the best way? For sure. So I invite everyone to check out our website, focuscapital.ca, focuscapital.ca. On there, they can see the projects that we've done. They can find out more about our strategy, where we invest. Uh, there's some free guides there to investing in industrial real estate. There's some uh, podcast episodes that I've done previously. So there's a lot of free information on there that uh, people can uh, can kind of get. You don't need any other podcast. Once you've done our podcast, there's no need for any other <laughs> podcast episodes. No, I'm just joking. I'm just joking. <laughs> I'll just I'll just delete them all and just put that, Nasty. Now we're talking. Right, yeah, that, appreciate it. Right. Um, <laughs> no, that's cool, man. Uh, yeah, it, it's. Uh, 
I we spoke before as you were thinking about doing this. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, a few and, years back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's really it's it's cool and it's impressive to see what you what you've done because a lot of people will would look at this space, and it can be intimidating. Because yep. the numbers are big. It's not overly, like anything in real estate investing, it's not rocket science. You That's know right. what I mean? Yeah. If you're going to put the time in to learn and understand it, I'd imagine your engineering background has probably come in really big handy for what you've done. Yeah, I, I think on a couple fronts, like I said, just, just having the analytical side helps. But also because uh, a good chunk of my commercial, of uh, my corporate experience was in commercial real estate, managing big construction projects and things like that. I was not um, worried about getting into these types of assets, right? Uh, I think I forgot. So I forgot about that yeah. aspect of it. Yeah. Yeah. So so for me, there was a familiarity there with it that I could just kind of walk into it. And, you know, I had steel toe boots in my uh, trunk that, you know, I could yeah. I could use to get into warehouses and stuff. And so, yeah, there was that kind of uh, ease about it. But still, I think it would have been very easy for you to, you know, kind of check it out and then maybe revert back to something being like, hey, maybe I'll just throw a couple of resumes. It looks like there's a good opportunity in this, this position here. Maybe I'll just jump on that one. You know what I mean? So yeah. for you to kind of continue down this path and to chug along and, and do what you've done and build it build it to this point and kind of keep moving, it's it's impressive. I don't think a lot of people would have been able to even get to this point. And you, you deserve all the credit in the world for that. You know, it's not easy, especially when you're going out on your own, mm-hmm. you know, and you got other responsibilities, you got the family at home and stuff. So it's it's really cool to see. Like it's congratulations on everything you've got so appreciate far. Appreciate that. It's really, it's really cool. Yeah, I appreciate so, that. And, and thanks for coming in. Thanks for coming awesome. and sharing yeah, this. Yeah, thank you. What else are we missing? Anything else to share? That's it. Again, invite people to check out our website, focuscapital.ca. And uh, yeah. Cool. Thanks, Stephen. Okay, thank you, Nick. All right, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Stephen. For us, it's always nice to hear what other investors are up to, what they've learned from their experiences, how they're investing, the, the, the lessons and the trials and tribulations they've gone through, because it helps us maybe take some of that and implement it ourselves, whether we're doing the exact same thing and the exact same investments or not. So we appreciate Stephen coming in to share that stuff with us. And if you want to learn more about what he's up to, remember, it's focuscapital.ca or the podcast that he's got coming out at Focus Capital Podcast will be listed on there as well. And with that, until next time, your life, your terms.